Hello, I'm Dylan. And I'm Keon. And this is Zenith, that podcast where we're underrunning so badly we screw up the entire pacing of the episode, because this week we watched Mission to Destiny. Written by Terry Nation, but probably more more like written by Chris Boucher. <laughs> Directed by Penn and Roberts. And aired on February 13th, 1978. Yeah, this story really <laughs> seems like it was written just basically all... Most, mostly or just entirely by Chris Boucher. It's, yeah, and I mean, I don't know how much of this story was underrunning and Chris Boucher had to fill up, but it feels like Terry came to Chris with like the first 10 minutes of the story, like two or three minutes in the middle, and the final 30 seconds, and was like, this is the story, and Chris was like, this is this is not 50 minutes of content, Terry. This is this is just not 50 minutes. But, but even just the concept, it feels like this feels really Boucher-esque. I guess we're just using that term now since you dropped it before we even started recording because it's basically just robots of death. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know if that's really a fair classification because we even mentioned this in our Robots of Death episode of Trust Your Doctor and it's basically unequivocal fact that Robots of Death takes a lot of its own plot points from Agatha Christie. It's just Agatha Christie in space and even this story is just Agatha Christie in space. I mean, this story has a lot of similarities to Murder on the Orient Express. Like, it's kind of, you can't ignore the similarities yeah. to Murder on the Orient Express when which, you watch the story. Which is why it feels like a Chris Boucher story, because he likes doing that. <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> likes adapting Agatha Christie to space. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess this is something we can look up. But I'm guessing this was, this was mostly, you know, Chris Boucher was mo- the main person responsible for most of this, at least. I mean, we've made reference to the fact that it feels like as the season has been going on, Terry writes less and less and Chris writes more and more. Yeah, I think that's actually just a known fact that that's the case. But uh, yeah, I, I guess we'll see I'm where that takes us. I calling them by their first names now, Terry and Chris. I mean, I've always called Terry, Terry. Which is on a first name basis now. <laughs> anyway. It uh, begins. <laughs> It begins with a guy getting brutally beat to death on what looks like the set from the London three weeks ago. <clears throat> yeah, there's there's seems to be a lot of reused sets mm-hmm. uh, from the London, basically. Yeah, and I think I think they they produced the show on a really frantic schedule, kind of like really early Doctor Who, but like the making of Blake Seven Twitter account was tweeting some quotes from one of the guys who worked on the show, and he's like, you know, when we're editing the story one week, the same week we're also shooting the next story and scouting locations for the story after that. Everything is happening, like, within the span of a couple weeks, so. Yeah, intense. Like, really quick filmmaking. I was trying to think of what what you would call that, but anyway. (laughs) Scattershot filmmaking. But anyway, the Liberator picks up signals from another ship nearby. Yeah. It's like orbiting them or something. It's like going around in circles. I'm like, that's kind of weird. And they they ask Zen to scan it, and he finds out that it's a a galaxy-class cruiser. Like, I forget exactly what it was called, but it's basically a a big and old ship. Mm -hmm. And they're like, hmm, that's kind of weird. Maybe we should beam down and find out what's, what's up with that. Yeah. The wiki so, mentions this, and I picked up on it too when I was watching it. This is the first story that doesn't directly involve the Federation in, in any way at all. I mean, they mention the Federation. They mention the Federation, but it's not like the plot of the story doesn't revolve around the Federation at all like the yeah. previous six stories have. Yeah, which is a nice change of pace, you know. Yeah, but although it does remind me of the the research base on the web. They just, they just they find someone, they say, we should just beam down and find out what's going on. 
Yeah, but it takes a completely different uh, route once they actually get down. And this this scene has a uh, you know, Gan and Jenna with you know, each with one of their two lines of the episode. A lot of, you can really tell that a lot of the characters are getting sidelined. Yeah, Villa um, gets a couple of lines at the beginning too, and not many later on. He says something like, "I can smell danger," and uh, I don't remember who responds. It might have been Avon or Jenna, but they're like, "Yeah, even when there isn't danger, you can smell it." He's like, "Yep, yes, I can. There's danger there." Villa gets a lot of. Villa doesn't really do anything in this episode. In fact, I think he actually does less than Jenna and Gan do, but mm-hmm. he gets a lot of funny lines. So, <laughs> yeah. so I guess that makes it okay. It doesn't really make it okay, but anyway. I was reading some fan theories or whatever, or just speculation and. And again, things that people have just picked up on. And a lot of people say that Villa and Avon um, are actually like best friends and only pretend to be pretty hostile to one another. And mm-hmm. that's interesting because they do they interact a lot in this episode. And Villa is the first person Avon contacts when they get beamed down to the ship, which is interesting. Yeah. But also, Villa was the one manning the teleporter pad, so... Yeah, but just... there's I forget exactly what um, Avon says, but it's... Uh, he puts his trust in Villa or something, which I guess. I guess we'll see where that takes us. Again, I'm still, uh, I'm still seeing how far the, my theory from the last episode takes us, which was that um, all the characters are portrayed as Blake sees them, which yeah. I think holds up in this episode. Yeah, it's similar to a theory I read actually in the past week about NCIS because someone was like, "How do NCIS just makes really garbage leaps and sometimes?" And someone was like, "Yeah, there's like a theory that like." The entirety of NCIS is just Gibbs in a retirement home retelling his old cases to people in the retirement home. And that's why a lot of things in NCIS, like, maybe don't make a lot of sense. It's like a lot of the tech things don't make sense because Gibbs doesn't understand it. So he's just explaining it the way he knows. But where does the retirement home thing come in? I mean, it's it could just, just be a story. Like, any, it could just be any story he's telling. It doesn't yeah. have to be in a retirement home. Yeah, no, it doesn't. I think the crux of the theory is that it, the, the series is Gibbs retelling the stories to someone. And that's why a lot right. of things seem kind of fantastical. All right, then don't add in the garbage, stupid retirement home thing. Whoever made that theory. <laughs> yeah, it's not my theory. <laughs> anyway, they wander. They, they first first they beam down in the ship, and Avon's like, "See, nothing here." And I was like, "You've literally been there for two seconds and seen one room on this supposedly huge ship. What are you talking about, Avon?" <laughs> Avon just wants to leave. <laughs> Avon's like that guy at work who does all the work but doesn't really want to and complains about it while he's doing it. <laughs> but Blake is like, no, no, this place looks ha- like people are just here. And uh, Callie's like, yeah, because she, she picks up um, some documents and she's like, these are recent, even though the ship is supposedly very old. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, hmm, that's strange. So they go and wander about the ship and there's some some scenes that were, were pretty, I thought pretty interesting, kind of tense. Um, but again, we're probably just there to pad out the episode um, mm-hmm. of them just wandering through the corridors and reacting to every little noise they hear, reacting to each other opening the doors. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, Blake and Callie find two people, like, passed out, and they think they're dead, but they check the pulse, like, oh, they're alive. And then they feel really sleepy, and Blake's like, must be, like, sono gas. So, yes, I think it was solo gas. Which is just probably just Terry Nation making up some garbage techno babble again. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a, it is just something made up, but like it's just a gas that puts you to sleep. I don't think yeah, there's which anything, is a real thing. Yeah, I don't think there's anything. No, we, there's nothing egregious or anything about it. Yeah, I just like mentioning when Terry's making up techno babble again because they, he's not fantastically good at it. I think is my point. I mean, yeah, they could just call it sleep gas. 
they could have just called it um, like a real world, yeah, like a real world gas chloroform. Uh, but they didn't. So chloroform, actually, fun fact, common misconception: chloroform is actually very slow acting. Tell that to any writer who uses it. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I would have personal experience or anything, anyway. So, but yeah, they, they they meet up with Avon, and he's like, "Yeah, I found four other people who got knocked out." Yeah, it's so low gas, and Blake's like, "Yeah, I figured that out already, Avon. I'm looking for the ventilation controls." And Avon's like, "Oh, right." Right this way, Blake. Yeah. So they make it to the, the control panel, and Avon uh, explains how garbage the, the, the setup of it is. But basically someone's wired um, the system to uh, to disperse this gas throughout the ship and, and knock everyone out. And this this was my award for this episode because we're giving awards now. So uh, I gave the award for uh, best jerry-rigging to uh, sticking the tubing into the primary feed. <laughs> yeah, so we changed the... F- <laughs> The awards format from last week, we oh, decided right. this. we would each come up with an award, but we wouldn't tell the other person what award we're going to give until it comes up in the episode. <laughs> so I didn't know. Yeah, it's a pretty good award. <laughs> uh, mine's coming a lot later in this story and is equally as inconsequential and silly. So I think you're going to like my award. It's a good one, I think. <laughs> oh, God. I came up with a couple because I wasn't sure what I wanted to go with, but I know which one I'm going with. Anyway, um, Avon reveals that the system was set up to disperse the gas, and then, but but the gas will eventually run out. So eventually, everyone will just wake up. And Blake's like, "Well, what's the point in that?" And Avon's like, "Don't ask me, Blake. I just found it too." <laughs> um, but then, anyway, they find a dead person, so uh, that's interesting. Yeah, and they're like, "Well, this guy's actually dead. That's kind of weird." Yeah, they they open the door, and he falls over, and. The guy who plays it does it really badly because you can just see his hand stretch out and catch his fall, like really blatantly. <laughs> I mean, I can understand, like, you're not, you're not just going to fall on your face, but like, come on, man. Come on. <laughs> you're not paying me enough to fall on my face. I don't want to get medical insurance. <laughs> um, so we're like, whoa, that guy's actually dead. And then they hear a scream nearby. Yeah, so everybody's awake. Oh, but they first they find the, the little clue he left, which is 5-1, no, it's 5-4-1-2-4 written in blood. <laughs> You're like, hmm, that's weird. Must be uh, uh, something important if he, he wrote it frantically right before he died. Yeah. They kind of just brush that off because they hear a scream and uh, they go to investigate what that is. And it's just the lady, one of the ladies awake. Yeah, it's Everybody's Sarah. awake. Sarah, her name was pronounced like... Sarah. Sarah, yeah. Spelled Sarah, pronounced Sarah because it's the future. Yeah, but I mean, if your name was Sarah, that's how you would spell it too. Yeah. S-A-R-A, so... <clears throat> Kind of weird. That doesn't come into play. Kind of weird now that I think about it. That like Jenna and and Blake kind of have the only like quote unquote normal names on I mean, the Liberated crew. I mean, it's the future, so like names, some names survive and some names don't. And new yeah, names and apparently always... Blake and Jenna survive. And Blake is a last name, so yeah, yeah. His first name's Raj. Yeah, and I mean Avon isn't like a, a common name, but if someone was named Avon like nowadays, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think it was weird. I think Avon's his last name too, though. His first name's Kerr. Oh, yeah, his first name's Kerr. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right, that's kind of weird. <laughs> Even Gan, like, I, I don't know if Gan is his first name or last name. But, if but someone's, either way, I... I no, if someone's first name was Gan, I wouldn't really... I'd be like, uh... Would, I wouldn't think it was common, you? but like, yeah. Anyway. I don't know. 
So they're on the ship and they, they basically just plot info dump their everything right now. Yeah, and I'm, they meet the rest of the crew. And I'm pretty sure most, if not all, of these people have been on Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we always joke about this, but Britain has like definitely has a limited number of actors. Uh, definitely a more limited number than America. I mean, in the sixties and seventies, like I don't know about yeah, nowadays, but less so nowadays. But I still feel like they're more limited than America. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's just a smaller country than the yeah. U.S. So like, and they have a, I think, a smaller film and TV industry overall. <clears throat> Yeah, I but I like. think they go for the you know, the quality over the quantity. That is very evident. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about that before, I think. Not on this show, but... But, I mean, that's okay. There, there are also a lot of garbage British shows out there. So. I mean, yeah, it's not like they don't exist. It's just that, in general, Britain seems to take more pride in what they're producing than America. So they tend to try and make it better. Yeah, I mean, I'm watching Children of the Stones right now, another 70s show. That's It's pretty good. It's pretty good. But, I mean, once again... Also has Gareth Thomas in it. You only People only are only going to recommend to you good shows, right? So you got recommended yeah, yeah, I mean, Children of, of the Stone. Yeah, I mean, no, but people will recommend what they think is good. It doesn't mean you'll necessarily think it's good. You might think it sucks. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but... <laughs> Yeah, I guess, but still, you're like you're going to be recommended something that some people consider good. That more, more than likely you'll consider it good than if you just flipped through like a Wikipedia page of list of seventies British science fiction shows and picked one at random. Yeah, I mean, like I said, there's plenty of garbage out there. So they basically info dump this thing that. Their species is like dependent. They basically they, bankrupted their their entire race to buy this thing. They're basically colonists, not affiliated with the Federation. Although supposedly the Federation tried to buy them out multiple times. Not affiliated um, with those colonists in the web that they found either. So they started this agricultural society on this planet, and uh, but eventually all their crops got overrun with a fungus. That they needed a special tool to get rid of. So they went on this voyage, which is which is this voyage that they're on to bring back this tool. I forget what it's called, but it's like the – sort of with an N. And mm-hmm. uh, now they're, they're on their return. They're, they're making the return to bring it back and eliminate the fungus. Yeah. And they think that um, Dalton or someone – I forget his name – who isn't there because Blake makes his comment like everyone on the ship is assembled and they're like, no, nah, Dalton isn't here. Yeah, so they think Dalton is involved in this plot to put them all to sleep somehow because he's – Missing. Yeah, but then they check on the the thing they need to destroy the fungus, and it's still there. And the captain says that it would have made sense if Dalton, because one of the escape pods is also missing, so he said it would have made sense if Dalton had used the escape pod and just made his way off with this, because apparently it's really expensive and can be sold for a a super high price to the highest bidder or whatever. Yeah, he said, but it's it, still there. So the the captain says something like, "We bankrupted our entire economy, and we're basically betting against our entire future to pay for this." Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the, the, I don't remember the exact reason why they need to get it to destiny quicker, but they do. Because their people are dying. So. But yeah, there's, this is, I don't, I forget the exact reason also why the ship, the voyage is going to take a lot longer than they planned. Because their ship is garbage and old, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. There was, they didn't, 
mentioned like, wow, it's going to take a lot longer than we thought. It's, but then it's bl- honestly really an excuse for this to be an, the Avon episode. <laughs> I mean, I guess also indicates that it was written a lot more by Chris Boucher because Avon is basically the main character of this episode. Because right now Blake offers to take the, the thing to the planet in four days on the Liberator. Mm-hmm. And they're like, they they take a vote because half the people don't trust Blake, Avon, and Callie, which I guess makes sense since there's this obvious plot going on and they're newcomers. And then Callie's just like, we'll stay as hostages. And Avon's like, really, Callie? Yeah. Really? Yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> and Callie's like, don't worry, Blake will come back. But she says that telepathically. And Avon's like, he better. You're leveraging our lives against him. <laughs> but yeah, the, the captain is totally on board with Blake just taking this thing. And, uh, you know, Blake doesn't pretend about it at all he's just like well you could trust me or you could just trust your fate to like having a 500 day long voyage and and you know dooming your people and they're like yeah all right i guess you can take it i don't know why avon is also so uncertain that blake will come back for him considering it was like two weeks ago when or maybe it was even last week actually when blake just basically took the liberator up against the federation just to go back and rescue callie someone who had been on the ship for two weeks (laughs) But uh, yeah, Blake takes the the thing and uh, immediately sells it uh, to fund his crusade against the Federation. No, <laughs> he no. doesn't need to though. They have that room full of gold <laughs> that they haven't mentioned since they found it. Remember? Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about this. They could have just mentioned how they have a j- massive treasure trove. And, like, we don't need your thing. We probably have twenty times as much as this thing is worth. Um, but no, he t- he takes it and they they set a course. There's a, a extremely dangerous storm area that they need to get through. Area 9, intensity 27, and and Jenna's like, we've only been through intensity 8 before this. And I'm like, wait, what? Because <laughs> they get to the storm, and the storm doesn't seem like that bad. And I'm like, so wait a minute, what was it? Yeah, eight? I mean, I'm pretty sure the, the, the scenes with them going to the planet and then coming back were, I mean, they were cool, and they did eventually at the end play into what's going on on the ship itself. But, uh, I mean, they were just kind of also padding. But at least they could throw in, you know, a couple lines for Jenna and Gan, right? And Villa. It also made me realize really weirdly they have like a lounge area on the bridge of the ship, like a little circular couch that I never really thought about. I mean, it's been there. It's been there since like episode two. It's been there since they got the ship, but I've never really thought about how weird it was that they just have like a lounge in the middle of the bridge where they have all these controls. It looks like a pretty comfortable bridge area so you know why not i guess <laughs> the computer screens in this story are also just zoomed in visuals of like analog control panels again which what are you gonna do when you've got no budget i mean they made the the ship i don't know if the ship that they're on actually had a name the Galaxy Cruiser, Galaxy Class Cruiser or whatever, but, you know, I don't... If it does, I can't remember it. We can check. Uh, the the Ortega. Oh, yes, the Ortega. They, they did some cool things there. I, they lit up each hallway in a different color, so I, I guess that that was the only cool thing. There wasn't really anything else special about it, but, you know, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Callie... Well, so Avon is fixing the, the ship's computer because it's been sabotaged, and he's using, once again, his long pointy stick of fixing things, which... As long as you know how to use the long pointy stick, you know, you really wonder why you keep Avon around. Yeah, also seems like the most likely to uh, mutiny. <laughs> yeah, if I was Blake, I'd be looking for a replacement for Avon ASAP. I'd just get one of those. Never mind. I would just kill Avon to assert my dominance <laughs> over the rest of the crew. <laughs> you, you betray me, I'm going to kill you. 
And so they need some parts. So Callie's like, well, I'll go look for it. You just stay here, Sara. Stay here with Avon. And so Callie goes. And, and this was the point where I realized what the clue was and completely just guessed correctly who the killer was. Yeah, I wasn't really paying attention to the first half of the episode. I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit distracted. They don't actually know that there's a killer yet, so that's a spoiler, but they find out pretty much right pretty soon, a couple minutes. So Callie goes off to get the things, and she sees what's-his-face Mandrian. Yeah, Mandrian. Messing around with Sara's stuff. Well, he's, like, in the room with this other guy. The other guy's, I don't know what the other guy was doing. No, he's actually just by himself. He's just looking in a bag, and he he puts he, he finds. Okay, I think that scene happened earlier then, because when Callie leaves the bridge, she goes straight to meet Mandrian and the other guy, because she asks where the storage room is, and that's when Mandrian follows her. That happens right after she leaves the bridge. She leaves Sara on the bridge. No, Mand- Mandrian was the guy in green, the guy with the beard. Yeah, Mandrian was the guy who died. Nope. Oh. Okay, so yeah, Mandrian so she, was she, the guy in green. Yeah, so she she sees Mandrian messing around with Sara's bag as she goes to meet with the other two guys, Sonheim and the other dude. Clearly, I didn't know any of the names, so I'm not even going to comment. Yeah, Mandarin was the guy in green, Sonheim was the guy in red, there was a guy in beige. There were two guys in red. There were for sure two guys in red. Sonheim was the the non-bald guy in red. I don't know who the other guy in red was. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to call that that one guy. guy. Wasn't that guy from the mutants also named Sonheim? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, she goes to this room and the, there's this big, big dude in red, and he's like, "That's Sonheim." <laughs> this big bearded dude in red, and he's like, "He wasn't bearded." <laughs> no, he he was bearded. He definitely had a beard or a facial hair of some sort. I mean, it wasn't like that much. It was sort of just like, and it wasn't. Yeah. No, he definitely had facial hair at some point. The other guy in the room didn't. The guy who was fixing the thing who actually helped Callie. Yeah, he didn't. Yeah, he didn't. Sondheim also kind of didn't. No, he definitely did. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he... He like stubble, I guess. He definitely had some sort of facial hair. I'm pretty well, like you sure said, you weren't about really it. paying much attention. No, but later on, because he's the one they all suspect of killing, and so yeah. I'm pretty sure he he definitely did have facial hair. Because that part I was paying attention yeah, to. Yeah, I and mean, he has like a five o'clock shadow. That's about it. That's facial hair. <laughs> anyway, they're performing some scientific experiments, and uh, the Sondheim's like, "Yeah, I'm I'm pretty suspicious of you, Callie, so I'm not going to go help." And uh, the other dude goes and helps Callie. Yeah, and then and then. This is when they find Bearded Dalton Red dead. Dude follows him, follows Callie. I'm just going to call him Bearded Red Dude. Bearded. Uh, I'm just, just going to call him Bearded Red Dude. I'm just going to call him Sondheim because I knew his name. <laughs> bearded Red Dude follows Callie and they find Dalton's dead body in just shoved the storage on top room. of a locker. Yeah. Like really poorly hidden too. And they're like, whoa, now we have a murder on our hands. Yeah. So they convene in like the mess hall, I guess. And we they, didn't mention that why this is called Mission to Destiny is because their planet is called Destiny. Yeah, I still think it's a pretty bad name for an episode, but anyway. They convene, and uh, Avon sort of tells them what's up. He's like, we first thought that this was just some plot to steal the fungus-killing device, but it's actually <laughs> murder. Murder. <laughs> <laughs> The plot twist is murder. So they're like, wow, so who could it be? And Avon's like, I don't know. 
Do I look I, like I know? <laughs> There's a funny scene a little bit later, and I'm bringing it up now because I'm going to forget if we if I don't, where Avon and Callie are telling each other who they think is suspicious, and they basically name everyone on the ship. They're like, so I think the, this person, this person, this person are suspicious. And it's basically just everyone there. Callie's like, yeah, I think they're all suspicious too. So Avon's like, great, better hope Blake comes back pretty soon. <laughs> Meanwhile, Blake and the rest of them are trying to get through the storm area. And apparently the, the shields can just barely take the intensity of the storm, but... Yeah, because apparently it takes more power to travel at higher speed, and they're traveling at standard by six, so they have to use auxiliary power to power the shields. They're running out of auxiliary power, so Zen's like, you can either power the thrusters or the shields, but not both in one minute. You've got to make a decision, and Blake's like, just power through, we got to make it. <laughs> just doom himself, doom destiny, and never come back for Avon and Callie. <laughs> <laughs> They just smash into an asteroid and just get disintegrated. <laughs> wasn't the Federation that took Blake and his crew down. It was just a random asteroid. Anyway, Callie brings up how she found Mandrian uh, messing around with uh, Sara's bag. Stuff. And she, she she actually took the, uh, the little device out of the bag. And she's like, what do you suppose this is? But Avon doesn't get a chance to answer because someone else has died. And it's Mandrian. Yeah, Mandrian dies. We, we, we see this scene of Mandrian going into a room, and you see a close-up on his face, and he's like, so the murderer was you. Well, actually, he says, I knew you would be here, but close enough. <laughs> <laughs> and he gets shot, and you actually... Doesn't he get stabbed? Stabbed, <laughs> whatever. Come on! No, actually, he gets shot. They think he's stabbed, but he gets shot because there's that... Like, Are you sure? Yeah, because there's that like pipe thing that's just also shot. And but that wasn't shot. Avon says he had to use a plasma cutter to cut through that pipe. Oh, I don't know. Well, what's her, the actual killer uses guns, and Sondheim is the one with the knife. So, <laughs> Big I mean, I red dude? Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. Maybe he was stabbed. But you, do, you actually do see him laying on the ground in a pool of blood. So it was like, whoa. It's uh, kind of violent yeah. for this show. They're like holding the big red dude back. Sondheim. <laughs> <laughs> big red dudes. <laughs> They're holding him back. And this is my award for the show. It's the uh, Brian Blessed Award for yelling a line really poorly. Because <laughs> he just yells, I didn't kill him. Except way worse than that and way less convincing. <laughs> way louder, I guess. And way louder, yes. It was the loudest line of the story. <clears throat> One of those lines that makes you turn the volume down and then you can't hear what's <laughs> going on. You can't hear the rest of the lines and you turn it back up. Do your job, sound mixers. <laughs> so... He's holding the knife, and the other red dude is like, I came in and I found him holding the knife. And Avon's like, that would be convincing evidence, except that he didn't use a knife to kill him because he used like a plasma cutter because that p pipe, yeah, you had to cut that with like some sort of really high-powered plasma cutter that I just haven't found anywhere on the ship, so clearly someone's got it on them. But that doesn't convince anyone. They all just believe that Sondheim did it, so they throw, they, they lock him up. Well, actually, it does. Well, it does because they lock Sondheim up before Avon actually explains the plasma cutter thing. Because when he explains it, they all turn around and oh, yeah. Sara's got a gun to them. Yeah, well, because first Avon explains the the clue because he's finally figured out the the clue, <laughs> um, which is that you know they thought that that the that the uh, five four one two four thing were numbers, but it was actually letters. And surprise, it spells Sara. Yeah, he figures I it out because they've got like 
crystals on the ship that they use for storing data, but they store data in the, in the form of numbers, and you read the numbers off the crystals, and the computer converts the numbers into words, which was kind of foreshadowed earlier because Avon picks up a crystal when he's on the bridge, and he's like, wow, that's great. This is just broken, and even if you could fix the rest of the ship, you would be blind. You wouldn't know where you're going. Yeah. I mean, but there's also... <laughs> I also figured this out without knowing this number... Uh, codex computer thing but you know it's just a very easy clue and I, I mean I really liked this story but I just wish the clue wasn't so obvious and plus there's also when, when I figured out the clue I was also like oh yeah Sarah was you know the only one awake so I mean it's probably her yeah so it, it was just <laughs> extremely obvious and she's got a gun to them. And she's like, if any of you put your head out this room, I'll blow it off. And then she just runs away. And Avon just kind of nonchalantly walks over yeah. the door and looks out. And he's like, well, it's your crew member. You guys better go after her. Yeah. And uh, she sort of reveals that she was, she enacted her plan to steal the, the device, obviously, and sell it. But actually, Avon explains this part. But I guess we can just assume that he's right since Sarah doesn't say anything. I mean, not that she would, but, you know, we'll just go with what Avon says that um, she was originally not planning on killing anyone except um, the, the pilot wasn't knocked out, so she had to kill him. Um, mm-hmm. Or actually, she was, she was planning on killing Dalton and making it seem like he was the one responsible by launching the escape pod, but she didn't have time. So she just hid the body, launched the escape pod empty, and uh, yeah, just pretended like everything was just A-OK. Yeah. Anyway, Blake and Dan opened the box and they realized that the, the thing that they were taking to Destiny is gone really wonder why they didn't open the box like as soon as they got on the <laughs> ship to double check if they actually had it nice going Blake <laughs> like alright turn around and then they kind of just skip the part where they have to travel through the same asteroid field again going back and they just kind of ignore <laughs> that fact yeah okay so this is where the, the, the pacing was really also similar to the web I guess just really weird not similar in terms of pacing but just similar in terms of how weird the pacing was mm-hmm. because this is basically there's five minutes left in the episode at this point yeah yeah, everything that happens from Blake realizing that the thing's gone is like within the final seven minutes. He turns around, he goes back, and then we get the entire resolution of the story in the next seven minutes. We've had 43 minutes of them trying to figure out who it was in seven minutes of the resolution. <laughs> Which I think might be... I mean, we compared this to Robots of Death, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I think Robots of Death was four episodes, and they sort of revealed the, the, who it was, like maybe in the third episode, end of the, th- end of the third one, I think. Mm-hmm. Possibly, I think so. I kept showing his feet throughout the entire thing. I remember that, but you know, I mentioned that that was before we started recording that that was kind of weird. But come to think of it, you know, maybe this is actually sort of a similar thing, just imposed onto a fifty-minute story instead of a, I don't know, hundred-minute one. Yeah, but I think it works better when you've got the story split into actual distinct episodes, so yeah. that the reveal can be a big, yeah, definitely cliffhanger thing. Whereas in this one, it's like. It feels like it's a big reveal, and then it's like, oh, shoot, we got to wrap up this episode because we are running out of time. Yeah, but they go after Sara. Yeah, Blake Blake makes this really huge logical leap. As soon as he finds out the thing's gone, they get back, they see another ship approaching the Ortega. Blake makes this really big leap. He's like, well, I should just blow up the Ortega. <laughs> <laughs> well, Avon and Callie, Avon, Callie, and the captain are wondering why Sara still seems so confident even though she failed and they know they've found her out. But then they realize that she that the device Callie picked up was a homing beacon and that the people she's going to sell the device to um, are locked onto the ship and they're coming. Mm-hmm. Which is why they need to act fast. Yeah. 
because they're coming for them. And I, I, I guess. guess Blake just guesses this and decides to put he, he beams down and decides to put charges on the entrance of the Ortega that'll just blow both of the ships up when anyone tries to enter the Ortega because he they they get bracelets on everyone and they beam everyone up. Except for Sara, Sara throws it, it yeah, she throws it off at the last minute, which results in her death because as soon as the smugglers try and board the ship, they both just die. Get obliterated. <laughs> And Avon's like, wait, what was that? And Blake's like, oh, I blew him up. And Avon's like, what? And Blake didn't even know that this other ship was like a, like bad guys, right? I mean, he just assumes it because they're buying this life-saving thing off of this betrayer, I guess. But like, that doesn't necessarily mean they're bad. Maybe no, they have no, their Blake own really... society that they're trying to save. Yeah, Blake really doesn't know anything. He just kind of acts... <laughs> And he's just really trustworthy that, one, his decisions are right, and two, that his crew is trustworthy. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we don't really find out what happens to the, the crew of the Ortega. No, they're, on the Zen- they're, they're on the the Liberator now. On the Zenith. I almost call it on the Zenith. They're on the Liberator now, and I suspect somehow I just have this feeling that next week the episode will just start and they'll just be gone. And yeah, yeah, probably going to be the case. <laughs> and it'll just never be explained. <laughs> But then the, the episode ends with this great one-liner from Villa, like, let's go around the asteroid storm this time. <laughs> yeah, that, that line really feels like something you'd see in, like, like a Terry sitcom. Nation story? I'm just kidding. <laughs> in, like, a sitcom or, like, full house. Yeah, well, Blake 7 is just a sitcom in space. Thankfully, it doesn't have a laugh track. I'm just kidding. It's not. It's not really at so all parts, a parts of it actually do feel like a sitcom, though. Yeah. A lot of the dialogue actually does, now that you mentioned it, especially between Avon, or especially a lot of Avon and Villa's dialogue. I'm sure somewhere there's a Blake 7, but with a laugh track edit on YouTube. <laughs> and it's just things like it's just things like Villa going, let's go around the asteroid field this time. And it's like, <laughs> people die and like, they'll laugh. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, there's the explosion. And everyone thinks Callie is dead in the laugh track. It's just like, ha, ha, ha. I actually hate laugh tracks. I'm glad most modern sitcoms are, are doing away with them. I've been watching a lot of Fresh Off the Boat recently. Awful show, but at least it doesn't have a laugh track. Yeah, doesn't actually, big, parts doesn't of that are Big Bang Theory still have a laugh track? Yeah, I have think so. Have you ever so. watched that video that's like Big Bang Theory but without the laugh track? Someone just edits out the laugh track and it's just really awkward silence. <laughs> well, I mean, that's every sitcom with a laugh track because they have to stop for the laugh. Yeah. But it's just it's yeah. it's almost funnier without the laugh track just because of how awkward it is. But that's I mean, not Big the Bang Theory isn't funny at all with or without the laugh track. So there's that too. In regards to Blake Seven, I'm kind of concerned that they're run, they're going to run out of ways to like set up these plots because the the setup for the story was really similar to the web. You know, they find a ship that they think is deserted and they just beam over to find out what's going on. You mean um. I don't know, episode three, whatever it was called. Or four, I mean. Yeah. Not the web. It was... Uh, the one before the web, ever, Time Squad. Yeah, Time Squad. Yeah, Time Squad. Sorry. Thank you. Where they just find a ship and they just beam over and it's... I mean, a ship or a planet is kind of what they did on the web as well. Yeah, they find a planet where they find a distress signal and they But I mean, what else is... Over. The, I mean, it wasn't really a distress signal here. It was sort of just... No. It, it was pretty similar, but... I mean, I thought this, this was still kept it interesting because it was basically completely different than any of the previous episodes. You know, they're not dealing with the Federation. Mm-hmm. They're not dealing with, well, whatever was set up in the web, like genetic experiments or whatever. It's it's a murder mystery sort of. 
which was interesting. So I, I, I do think this was, I think this was one of the better episodes. This is actually, maybe this is because this is the first episode that I'm not rewatching. So this is the first thing that's actually new to me. Mm-hmm. And I guess everything from here on out will be also new. So maybe that's why I just liked it a bit more. But I do think it was still a pretty strong episode. The The main downfall, I think, is just how easy the clue was. Because you can basically, I figured it out like slightly before halfway through the episode, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just concerned that they're going to run that premise into the ground. I mean, there's only so many... I mean, there is only so many ways that you can start a, a story, I guess, on this show. There's only so many ways that you can get Blake and his crew to the location. But I feel like that they they might start overusing the, oh, we just stumbled upon this thing and that's what we're going to do this week. And it's going to maybe start getting a little samey. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm just predicting. I, I mean, yeah, like you said, I mean, there's only so many situations you can... There's only so many ways you can get them into situations off the Liberator. Mm-hmm. But I think as long as they keep the actual content of what they're doing when they get to where they're going varied like this one did, it won't start to feel, um, you know, like, I guess, samey or just drawn out or repetitive. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess we'll we'll just have to see what goes on. Yeah, that's the, a, a fair or, or what, what happens rather the music in this episode is far better than anything before it and basically the best soundtrack or that I've heard from Dudley Simpson across all of Blake 7 and Doctor Who that I've watched I didn't really notice it that much in this story there's a, a, a very creepy sound in the beginning song I guess rather it plays like I think a few more times throughout the episode mm-hmm. um, which I really liked not much else to say about it other than like it stood out to me and I really liked it yeah really didn't feel like it was composed by Dudley Simpson considering he doesn't really make many memorable tracks but I thought that this one was pretty good yeah in regards to sets I definitely definitely think the bridge of the Ortega was the bridge of the London shot film nearly the same angle (laughs) Uh, it looks super similar so that's just probably is it probably is they definitely used the same corridor over and over in the story, but lit it in different colors so it yeah. looked like a different part of the ship. Yeah, they definitely it's did. definitely the same corridor. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, 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 the outfits that the Ortega wore looked pretty similar to like the jumpsuits that Blake and his crew wear when they're beaming down the planets like we saw in the last episode. Sure, yeah, they actually looked more similar... They look like a cross between like modern day astronaut suits. I don't know what they're space suits, I guess, and mm-hmm. what Blake and his crew wear. To me, that's mm-hmm. what they look like. Yeah. So, whatever that means. <laughs> Running out of distinct costume designs already. <laughs> Yikes. Well, I mean, it's also it's it's that, but it's also like you know wanna wanna paint a uniform like galaxy mm-hmm. or universe slash world. Yeah, but, I mean, the thing is, like, first off, where did Blake and his crew even get those jumpsuits from, number one? And number two, if they got them from on the Liberator or even anywhere in the Federation, there isn't really a reason why it should look similar to the people on the ship because, like the people on the ships said, they don't want to join the Federation. They have no interest in the Federation. They're not part of the Federation. They've been isolated for, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. Ideally, their costumes would actually look more different than... Blake and his crew in the Federation, but you know. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess. 
Yeah. But yeah, I'm not too concerned about You're not too that. concerned about the anthropology of this universe? No. Anyway, you can email us at thedoctoradecadentvegetable.com. Questions, comments, concerns, angry rants, love letters, your thoughts on... What was the name of the story? Mission to Destiny. So bad I forgot it halfway through the episode. I didn't think it was bad. I thought it was one of the stronger episodes. It reminds of the me seven. of Edge of Destruction as a name. Mission oh, to Destiny. Just, well, the name. Yeah, like, just I didn't the think name. the name. I mean, the name wasn't that good, but I didn't, also didn't think it was that bad. I think the story was pretty strong. No, I'm not talking about the story being bad. I think the story was pretty good, too. I just think the name was bad. I mean, the name wasn't great. <laughs> anyway, you can find us on YouTube at decadentvegetable.com. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play at Zenith the Blake 7 Podcasts. Just search for Blake 7 and it pops up. Confirmed myself. Because we're one of the few Blake 7 podcasts out there. Anyway, you can check us out on Facebook at Trust Your Doctor. Like us on Facebook. Also check us out on Twitter at TYD Podcast and follow us on Twitter. And next time we're watching Duel. But until then, the end. <laughs>